Welcome in. This is your Tuesday scramble. It's January 18th, 2022. I'm Rick Gaiman. That right there, Andy Lack. And Andy, you're back, baby. It's good to have you. Uh, Rick, I feel refreshed. I had such a great weekend. Um, played some mediocre golf, but um, a lot of good times with a lot of old friends. And I'm ready to go this week. How about you? How's your weekend? Yeah, no, no complaints on on my end. I was uh, not doing anything probably nearly as exciting as you were. It was it was what like a bo- like a boys trip, like a golf trip, right? Yeah. So my my call one. It's actually funny. One of my really good friends from college. We kind of lost touch, um, and then we reconnected because he found my podcast and no he started kidding. listening to the pot. Yeah, and he started listening to the podcast, and he. Um, he's a big architecture guy like me and, and is, is lucky enough to have a dad that is kind of very in the know with some of those courses. And so we kind of reconnected over the architecture thing and have been trying to go play these cool and different courses. And, um, we're, I, I had a big win on DraftKings this weekend that I think is hopefully going to fund like an Ireland trip now in September. So I'm just, I'm really into that type of stuff going to play new and different courses yeah you are on cloud nine right now my friend this yeah. is uh this is great <laughs> stuff you're you're just like you're sniffing yourself this week i love it yeah it was well you want to know is the i'll give you the best and the worst part of it yeah the best part of it was i wasn't sweating it because i was playing 36 rounds of golf a day so i wasn't checking it whatsoever until the very yeah. end on sunday it's the, the best worst video. part of the bur- the worst part of it was it was alarming to me how many people were like, Hey man, did you know you would have won a hundred K if you put it in this contest? (laughs) Did you know you would have won 75 K if you would have put it in this contest? It's like, yeah, I know. Well, I didn't put it in that contest. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I've had, I've had the optimal lineup in, um, in like a $3, like 10 K to first, which I, as everyone told me, you would have won the Millie maker that week. And I was like, yeah, I, I got it. I got it. I, yeah. I'm, I'm well, the first, <laughs> well, I the first thing I did when I saw, I scored a billion points is I went and checked to see what else I would have won. Oh, so yes, I'm very of aware course. of the situation. Yeah, of course you have to, you have to, uh, other news. I don't know if you have, uh, announced this yet. So maybe I'm letting the cat out of the bag, but I don't think I have either. You and I are, are going to be, seeing each other very very shortly because my friends i'm going to tory you're going to tory and i think we're gonna have ourselves a nice little time have you ever so have you ever been to that tournament before rick yes yeah um i've been to the farmers a couple times and then when the u.s open was there uh i was also at tory so yes very 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 familiar so you are aware of the challenges with the layout from a spectator standpoint. It, it is by, f- I don't want to say it's the worst. <laughs> it is a very, very bad spectator experience because the, the, yeah. the way the course is laid out, right? Like if you want to go, I, I, I was just giving this example to somebody else, like, um, cause I was comparing it to Riviera cause Riviera is in a couple weeks and I was trying to get down there as well. And I'll like, if you want to go from like two green, are you going to be at Riv? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Maybe I'll have yeah. to step up all right i was like 50 50 um all right we'll see uh like if you go from like two green to 10 t at riviera it's like four steps away because and like and like all those holes are like near the clubhouse as they should be if you want to go from like 10 to two at at tory it's like a mile and a half walk it's it's yeah. just outrageous yeah, Pebble Pebble is the same way as Riv too. It's a very compact piece of property, so it's very easy to navigate it. And if you've been there for one day, you can pretty much get the lay of the land. With Tory, it's like you enter on 12 and you have this downhill par 3 and you have to yeah. walk almost half the entire course to get to 1. So it's a little bit disorienting, but once you kind of get the hang of it, it's a it's a great piece of property. I went to the US Open as well. I went to uh, the farmers, the year that Leishman won too. So I'm super excited for that tournament. And Rick, I love that they're finishing it on Saturday. What, how about that self-awareness? Yeah. Brilliant. I actually, I made the argument that the entire fall swing should run Wednesday to Saturday, right? That way, because it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird this week to next week where guys, you're going to have to go from a Sunday finish to a Wednesday start. And then it's going to be weird from Tory to, I guess what would be, Phoenix is that after Tory, right? Yeah, because that's um, championship. I, I no, because there's a week I, off. I think it's 
it's Pebble, it's Pebble, and yeah. then it's Phoenix because Phoenix, Phoenix is, is the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, right? Right. And I Pebble the... is, yeah, Pebble is conference championship, and that's also the week where all the best players are going to be in Saudi. Correct. Yes, yeah. I don't think it's conference championship week. I think conference championship week is. Oh, next you're week right. For... They take, yeah, they take a week. It's off. the week yeah. off, right? It's the week off. Mm, so okay, that makes sense. Um, I don't remember what I was saying, but um, I don't know. I have no Tory. idea. Tori, we were talking about Tori. We can transition into the MX. Let's transition. <laughs> Actually, before we do that, let's transition to the Sony because okay, I'm still thinking about. Russell Henley and Hideki Matsuyama, where this literally turned into a two horse race. It literally turned into Hideki chasing down Russell Henley and Russell having yet another weekend kind of struggle that we've seen him do a couple of times here in the last six months or so. And then we saw maybe the shot of the year from Hideki Matsuyama. Obviously, it's early in 2022, but that one might that one might last for a while. Yeah. So I think the the conversation that everyone wants to have, and I had Russell Henley outright, you know, I, I think a lot of people did. I didn't hedge. Um, I, I, I think it's an interesting conversation about, you know, whether Russell Henley joked or not. Um, and, you yeah. know, on one hand you say the guy had a two stroke lead heading into Sunday and he shot a 65, right? And he got he, beat by a 63 from the Masters champion. He went out in 29, Yeah, right? Like, I, it's hard to be like, he had a two-shot lead, he went out in 29, and he coughed it up. I'm not sure that's that's the route I want to take here. But I will say this, in fairness to the he did choke crowd, on one <laughs> hand, you can look at it and say, well, starting on 10, he actually he noticeably changed his strategy. He played way more conservatively on the back nine. And obviously he got to the point that he was at by firing at pins and, and playing a little bit more aggressively. And it was a weird experience because I actually said in one of my golf group chats to a couple other people that have Henley um, on the front. And I said, God, Russell looks so comfortable out there. I I'm so surprised to see how comfortable he looks out there. And then on the back nine, he started to tense up and we started to see what we saw with him at the Wyndham. And, and I think that's why it's an interesting conversation because in totality, he played a round of golf that is probably good enough to win 90 or so percent of the time. But on the other hand, he did change his strategy on the back nine and it looked like he was playing more conservatively. And even in the playoff, he made the same mistake twice on 18. Yeah where he hit the ball, he hit the same tee shot twice in a row that forced him to lay up. And that's what ended up doing him in. The, the thing that I don't think enough people are talking about is, and, and we always make fun of this when, you know, there's two guys in contention and we get the, we get the announcer saying, Oh, well, it's truly match play. Now yeah. it's a match play situation, but it did kind of turn into that down the stretch. And what I think was really important is once Hideki got the honor on the back nine, he used his driver and just he buried Russell Henley and it showed its head on 18. Have you ever seen Hideki Matsuyama take a cut like he did on 18 to carry everything down the left hand side, 338 yards? The guy with the sweetest, smoothest swing ever swings out of his shoes. I've never seen it before. I've never seen. I was so fascinated to see him take that route. And that's what you can say about Henley. You can say one player, it felt like they played to win and the other player it felt like they played not to lose. The issue then became, so, so Hideki has the honor basically for the entirety of the back nine. He's putting a lot of pressure on Russell Henley. Henley's playing a little bit too conservative. He's not making enough, uh, enough solid shots. And then, when we get to the playoff, now it flips, and now Henley has to go first. And when he makes the same mistake that you're alluding to, Andy, and he dumps it in the fairway bunker again, now Hideki's like, oh, let me put driver back in the bag. I'm just going to hit the fairway. Like, it was, yes, Henley, may, if he makes one birdie at any point on the back nine, he wins. If Hideki doesn't play great, Henley wins. But, like, the, the momentum of that, what ends up being almost like a boxing match, it, it was just all in Hideki's favor. And Rick, you'll hear players in interviews and caddies talk about this all the time. Your body has different tendencies uh, 
when adrenaline is thrown into the mix, right? You can, you can, you hear people talk all the time about how when they're in contention and the adrenaline is pumping, they have to club down because they can account for an extra couple of yards. And that's actually what we saw with Henley on his third shot that ultimately, I mean, I think he was already in dire straits after Hideki hit that three wood, but the wedge shot that he flew the green, that was a situation where your caddy has to come in and even on the tee shot, right? Like hit three iron there because that he pured that three wood wreck um, both on 18 and in the playoff and, and it went into the bunker. So I think that was a, a, a time where Henley and, and I'm never of the mindset, Rick, that guys can't ever win. I think the more reps you get in contention, the more muscle memory you build, the more you learn about these tendencies. And it looked for a second like Henley was there. And then we found out that, okay, maybe he's not quite there yet, but he's a fantastic player over a large sample size. He's one of the best iron players in the world. So I, I think he'll be okay. The the wedge in the playoff was, I mean, imagine this guy. He just dumps it in the bunker for the second straight time. He has to lay up for the second straight time. Hideki's three feet away. You know he's going to make eagle. You're thinking you probably have to hold that wedge yeah. from the fairway. And his heart is probably beating out of his chest. Like, yeah, I'm not surprised he flew everything. Like, it, imagine um, the, the grinder that he must have been in in that moment. I, I, I can't even imagine. I've got I've got no issues with him just hitting a horrible shot. And, and and with, you know, everyone kind of join. I haven't seen anything like that really since Phil at the PGA Championship where the crowd kind of rushed yeah. the green on 18. And I have to imagine, I know that Sony is a big sponsor of the Japan tour. And I think that's one of the reasons why Hideki played. I have to imagine the crowd had kind of got on Hideki's side. And it was just oh, a... Sure you know, you have a five stroke lead and now suddenly the tables flip so quickly. That's kind of a tough position to be in. The shot that Hideki hit in the playoff, a three wood from, I believe it was 278 yards to two feet, eight inches already, obviously the shot of the year, but this was, I mean, it was special Andy, right? Like to do, I don't know. We were kind of, we talked about it on the first cup podcast for just a second where it was like, if you gave him a bucket of balls, could he do it again? How often would he do it? It landed almost like it was a nine iron. It was just an unbelievable piece of of, of ball striking in that moment. And he, he was right into the sun too. So he yeah. turns around and kind of squints and someone tweets it like, do I need my putter? Like, which I thought was the absolute <laughs> was perfect tweet. tweet. But yeah, yeah, early front runner, clubhouse leader for shot of the year. Has to be. Lou Stagner on Twitter. So he ran every single shot that was from 275 yards to 280 yards from basically the shot link era. So 2004 to 2021. So there were about 27,000 of those shots. Only 29 of them, 29 of them were hit to three feet or less. Hideki did it in a playoff to what would essentially close out the Sony Open. Big time. And it just underrated career at this point. It feels like it, it, it he kind of has snuck up where I think he's, it's hard to believe how young he is. He's still 29. I want to say Rick. turns, turns and, 30 next month. Sure. And he's won seven times the masters W I he's won at least one WGC. Two the Zo- yeah. Two of them. Okay. So the Zozo win in Japan, that, that was kind of underrated. It felt like, because that was, that was huge for him, at least. I know it wasn't the best field, but he's he's a winner. And and you could say what you want about the putting. There's going to be weeks where he's going to lose nine strokes putting, but you know he has those ceiling weeks enough um, that it, he he's a scary player if you catch him on the right week. Won the Memorial, right? That was his first victory. I mean, Phoenix. It's it's a it's a pretty pretty stout resume when you start looking at it and. Andy, I have to admit, um, it's a pretty stout resume for you, my friends, because you're off to a pretty good start in our one and done. So uh, you you went with Seamus Power last week. I believe he uh, – was it T3 or so? – no, I think it was T3 because him and Kid – or maybe T4. Um, but T3, yeah. Him and Kids Kiz, made a putt on 18, I think, to get to get there as yeah, well. Yeah, T3. Seamus made a $2,500 birdie for me on 18. Um, wow. He, yeah, Seamus play, played really well. Um, yeah, T3 for Seamus. And I'm feeling good, Rick, with 
you having burned Xander and Cam Smith and yeah. me having burned Seamus Power and Leishman. So I feel yeah. like I'm I feel like I'm feeling pretty good about things. Yeah, 630,000 for you, 170,000 for me. And as you mentioned, I've burned uh, two guys that I was expecting to get a decent chunk of change out of. So I certainly like your position much more than I like mine. But there's like 35 events to go. I think yeah. I'll, I think I, I got think, time. Yeah, you got time. I don't <laughs> think 630,000 is going to win this thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. And the thing too is like, we talk about this all the time, Rick, but with one and done strategy, a T25 and a missed cut, it, it's not moving the needle for you, right? Same like thing. you need those, you need those top three finishes. Yeah, you really do. You do. So we'll see how many of those we can get throughout the year. Um, I believe I'm ready to transition to the American Express. We've got to talk sure. about the million variables this week. We've got to do our bets and our leans and a little bit of storyline stuff. But first, I need 30 seconds. See you in a second. Remember, Andy Lack is not only the co-host of The Scramble, but also produces his own show, The Inside Golf Podcast. It's available twice a week, focusing on course breakdowns, DFS, and betting strategies for every PGA Tour event. Admittedly, I was drawn to Andy for his data-driven approach, which you'll find on his Sunday shows as he breaks down the field, but I'm even more impressed by his passion for course architecture, which offers a different perspective of our great game. Mix those two together with insightful and humorous guests who don't take themselves too seriously, and you've got a recipe for a great podcast. Follow Inside Golf on Twitter and download Inside Golf wherever you download podcasts. The American Express. Um, this is the worst name in golf. It's the worst <laughs> tournament name in golf, right? Find me a worse one. Um, worldwide Technologies at Mayakoba feels a little convoluted, no? Okay. So at least that is like the sponsor, the location. It is a bit long, uh, but I believe they also put on – don't they put the word championship in there somewhere or classic or – Am I misremembering I that? No, no, no. You're right. You're right. I think it's the Worldwide Technologies Championship, Championship. at the Mayakoba. Yeah. Right. So at least that is a bit more descriptive. Championship. Okay, I get it. The American Express. That's just that's just the company name. It's terrible. Like more, it has to be terrible SEO, right? You if you now you cannot search it. You can't search it on the internet. You have to like look up golf or tournament or leaderboard. It's like the Northern Trust, which was also a very bad name, so bad that they actually got rid of it. That was the only reason they got rid of it because the name was so horrible. Um, but this is this is the worst. Th this could easily have been the American Express Classic, the American Express Open, the American American Express Championship, the Amex Championship, literally anything but this. Yeah, uh, it, it's interesting. At least it's not in caps lock, right? Because sometimes Thank we God. get the, like the Northern Trust, all capitals, the players, all capitals. So at least we have that going for it. But yeah, I agree. We'll get into it. I have I have my qualms with a, a couple things about this tournament. I actually think, <laughs> I think they should lean into the American Express and it should be a shot clock event. You should have like, 40 seconds when you get to your ball, like make it an express, make it the American express shot clock. These guys turn it into a little bit of speed golf. Didn't the European tour do a, like a shot clock masters a year or two ago? I'm not sure, but what's a little bit ironic about you bringing that up is that it is the slowest, probably golf the opposite tournament of the, it's the exact opposite. We, we have a pro-am. So some of these rounds are six hours, which by the way, do you, um, from a viewing standpoint, this is obviously not ideal. It's not my favorite. Do you, like when you were breaking down this tournament, did you think about that? Did you think about like the element of having to play with amateurs and who would be kind of better under those, uh, under that premise? So I thought about it for like two seconds because there have been guys who are literally like, I hate. Like, I hate this. Like, I hate sure. playing with amateurs. It's six or six and a half hours and all that good stuff. Uh, and some guys embrace it. The problem is for me, like trying to actually analyze it or determine how that might impact things this week. It's like you'd have to know how every single golfer in the field felt about it, which seems like a fool's errand. Sure. It's beyond unquantifiable. I could definitely right. see a guy like Phil, though, be paired with uh a, I don't know, an investor 
and he feels such yes. a showman that he's just so in his element. Or even a guy like Abe Answer, uh, he's talking tequila the whole time with like a LA billionaire would really rise to that occasion and walk away with a couple new sponsors to Fletcha Azul. Whereas I think maybe you get a guy like Taylor Gooch, who this is something we'd even talk about yeah. last week, really, but he's on the record about his frustration with slow play. He's suddenly in the middle of a six hour round with a 25 handicap and, you know, not, not the ideal scenario for him. Yeah. Taylor Gooch wasn't even all that thorough playing with professional Kevin Na last week. Now he's got to sure. play with uh, an amateur six and a half hours. This guy's chunking it around. Who knows what's going on? So you're right. There's certainly uh, things to consider. Brian in the chat the worst take i've ever heard says rick i love the american <laughs> express straight to the point easy to say this is a bad take it's an objectively bad take so they should just call it the the amex open that would be easier to say wouldn't it like seo yeah you got to get something in there you got i love brian but you got to get you got to get something in there uh justin feels kind of not the way that i feel but i know the way a lot of people feel he says this tourney sucks can't wait to gamble on it, which is, uh, yeah, that's that's about right. So, Andy, we got the three-course rotation. We are back to three courses, which we did not have last year because they only played two courses because there weren't amateurs at the event. And it's always – the number one question I always get this week is, what course do you want to start on? What course do you want to finish on? And I think it's almost along the lines of – who likes playing with amateurs and who doesn't like this is going to be really hard to quantify whether guys would prefer to play the stadium course, both Saturday and Sunday, or to get the easiest course out of the way first, or to play the hardest course on the easiest day. Like there's just a billion factors here that I'm not sure I'm capable of figuring out. And I've, I've played two of these three courses. I played a lot of golf in Palm Springs. They're really similar. Like they are, there are certainly things that you can nitpick about some of them. The stadium course is definitely the most difficult of the three, but not really by a wide margin. There's just a little bit more trouble on the stadium course. Um, I don't think it matters really from a logistical standpoint. And the frustrating thing about it, Rick, is we don't even have that much data or information on the other two courses because only only the stadium course has shot tracker, which for guys like me and you is probably the most frustrating thing about the event. Yeah, super, super annoying. But the, the theme of the things that we've been talking about for the last 15 minutes are increased variables, increased things that maybe players do not control as much. And it probably wouldn't surprise you to find out, Andy, that Long shots have like really thrived here. And I'm thinking it's because this is such a random event. Like there's so many different things going on. You could be on the right side of the draw, the wrong side of the draw. You've got 144 guys spread over three courses, playing them in different order. Like there's so much going on. It does not surprise me that long shots are super live. Yeah, me neither. And there are a couple of theories for this too. Like any course that is a short par 72, right? With four scorable par fives where distance is mitigated a little bit. Those are the weeks where 130 out of 140 guys have a chance to win. Whereas you go to a place like Torrey, F Torrey Pines and it sometimes feels like half the field is out of it before they even tee off because of the distance thing. This is the opposite of that. And this is a week where you could see a guy who happens to get hot with the putter. And a lot of this tournament is going to be determined by who's the guy that can make the most eight to 15 footers. So I think it makes a lot of logical sense why, of course, John Rahm could go out and, and play better than everyone else. Like he did in 2018, as I see you have the odds up now, but I think this is probably a better week wreck in my opinion to take a couple shots farther down the board. Yeah, so I've, I'm showing, and I've tweeted this out as well, the winner odds for this event uh, over the last, I don't know what that is, eight years or so. Siwoo Kim was 60-1 to 1 last year when he won at Andrew Landry, 200-1. to 1. Adam Long, 500-1. to 1. I know some books did not even offer Adam Long, or he was part of like the field, <laughs> something like that, 500-1. to 1. John Rahm was 8-1 to 1 when he cashed in in 2018, but then you've got Hudson Swafford at 50 Duffner at 40, Bill Haas, remember that, 25 to 1. And then Patrick Reed was 60, and Brian Gay was 80 when he won this. So, I mean, I'm that is kind of how I've started to shape up my betting card this week is to really like I've just I've just fired a bunch of bets 60 to 1 and longer. Yeah, I have let me see. 
I have five guys that I bet above 150 to one this week. So I, I feel the exact same way. I think this is a really fun week in that sense, a fun week for DraftKings too, because they're a lot of different scenarios where you can embrace the variance and, and maybe fade some of the more popular players. So I think it's fun in that sense. I wish we had shot tracker. I don't love the very long rounds. I don't think it's a particularly interesting course um, from a design standpoint, but there's a lot of water on it. And, and so it's fun and you know, it's going to be one of those birdie weeks rec. Yeah, the top of the board is interesting, even if you're not living there. I mean, John Rom is here. Patrick Cantley is here. Those are basically any way you want to slice it, the two best players in the world for the last year. And then Scotty Scheffler, who, you know, there's going to start to be rumblings about Scotty getting that first victory soon. It feels like he's on the verge. This would probably be a pretty good spot for him. But we're going to start to have more and more conversations about, as 2022 goes on, about Scotty Scheffler not winning like we had about Finau and answer and guys that have kind of checked that off recently. You know, it's interesting to me too. It, it doesn't, it feel like Zalatoris has kind of become the forgotten man a little bit because he's yeah. actually, he's older than Scheffler, I mm-hmm. believe. And he hasn't won either. And this there's a Morikawa has kind of separated himself from that pack of Wolf, Zalatoris and Scheffler. And we get both of them. These we get all three of those guys this week outside of Morikawa. And I'm super interested in all three of them. I'm super fascinated to see how Scheffler, Wolf and Zalatoris play this week. Wolf had an unbelievable fall. Wolf was excellent. He did not want the fall to end. This kind of feels like it would be a decent spot for him. Just kind of go out there, see how many birdies you can make. He's 28 to one. I'm I'm fairly bullish on, on Matthew Wolf for this week. Yeah. And in theory, this should be a good course for him, right, Rick? Like he's had a lot of success at the 3M Open. He's had a lot of success at the Shriners. Those are both easy par 72s, or I think Summerlin's a par 71 with some water and you have to make a lot of birdies. So you get Wolf on a course where it's a little bit easier. He can hit a bunch of drivers. Par five scoring is really important and he seems to thrive. So I'm with you. I think he's a very, uh, I think he's a very interesting play this week. How does Russell Henley bounce back from what could have been last week? He's 35 to one. Um, you, we always question, like, okay, he obviously played great, right? He got to the winning score in regulation, didn't convert in a playoff, but the emotional toll that that might take, and then you head to a course that has been not your – or an event, I shouldn't say course, an event that has not been your friend for a while, I, I would be very surprised to see Russell Henley make noise this week. Yeah, he's been terrible here too. You know, on paper though, it, it's a good fit. Like when I when I was running the numbers and and looking at the things that are kind of important here, it's Henley always is going to pop for me statistically because he's such a good short iron player and he's so good with those flip wedges. But yeah, it, it's it's a tough one. I don't know. Let me ask you this question: Would you feel better about him this week if he won? Um. Good question. I think I probably feel the same. I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, he's definitely not going to win again. Like he's got to do all the medias. Um, I would probably, I don't think, yeah, I don't think I'd feel all that different. He's been horrible here. He's been horrible. Yeah. I don't think he's, I think missed four of six cuts, never finished better than like 40th. Yeah. It's, it's pretty horrendous. I'm living at kind of the triple digits and long sides of this too. So um, I know you mentioned a couple of guys that you've already bet pretty deep. Who is kind of like your favorite long shot at this point on a Tuesday? And you can determine favorite however you want. Maybe it's guy who you think can actually win, guy that you think is most mispriced. Like who are you most, maybe most excited about would be, ooh, sorry, a better way to frame this. Um, okay. So I've got two of them. I think that we've talked about this before on this show, Rick, is the element of unknown with some of these longer guys. So you have a guy like Adam Svensson, who's just finished T7 at the Sony Open last week, and he gained six strokes on approach, right? And we have a pretty limited sample size with Adam Svensson, right? Now, he actually played this tournament last year and finished 18th, um, which really helps, even though I wouldn't say course history is a big 
indicator at this particular event. But you have a guy like Adam Svensson, and we don't know what his ceiling is yet, right, Rick? Like we don't we don't have enough of a data sample size to really make a definitive stance on him. Adam Svensson could be a perennial sixty to one guy in a month, right? And we could look back at this and say Adam Svensson one hundred and fifty to one. Um, what what happened there, right? And so. I there's a lot of proven commodities in in the 150s and the 160s. Like we know what Andrew Putnam is, we know what Brendan Todd is, but we don't really know what Adam Svensson is. So I, I kind of like some of those guys like Svensson, and I'm sure Hayden Buckley is going to be very popular this week as well. But I'd rather take my chances with them and kind of embrace the element of unknown. And who knows, maybe they're not great. That's always in play too, but at least there's at least I feel like I'm having getting a little more upside than a guy that's kind of I know what his ceiling is. The most telling thing about Svensson's ceiling is who he's able to get on his back. And Tim Tucker yeah. was on his back, right? I mean, you don't go from Bryson to a scrub, right? There is and and Teddy uh, Ted Scott was on his bag in the fall. Uh, Bubba Watson's former caddy. And they're, if you're in like these golf circles, Adam Svensson is so highly regarded. Uh, the, the other guys that I can remember hearing kind of similar rumblings about would be Sungjae. When Sungjae came up, it was, mm-hmm. it was the same thing. Everyone was like, he's on, he's, he's so legit. And Gooch. Taylor Gooch. Those, yeah. are, those are like the last two that I remember everyone being like, no, 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 you're going to see what the, what this guy's is. And that, that I think is the biggest selling point for Svensson at this point. Yeah. And, and I, w- I'm a little surprised, like sometimes with these guys, they, the bucks kind of ride the hype machine and they'll drop them really well. Like I remember Hayden Buckley had back-to-back top tens in two events in the fall swing. And the next week he was like 35 to one. Um, and then he had a couple of bad weeks and fell back. And then he kind of rebound did this last week at the Sony and was great. So I was a little surprised to see those guys in the 150 and 160 range. They may end up being super chalky 7K guys in DraftKings Rick, which is something you probably want to avoid. But in terms of outright betting, I, those were kind of the guys that really popped out to me. I love the all the Adam Long connections here to this event right so he won this event a couple of years ago he's actually a much better player now than he was when he won this event a couple of years ago i also love this unbelievable stretch that he's on so 29 consecutive events andy 29 he has finished either inside the top 30 or he has missed the cut nothing in between i I appreciate that. Don't waste your time on a weekend if you're not going to be on the first couple pages of the leaderboard. That's good stuff. I've seen you tweet that stat out once or twice before. I I know you love Yeah, because it was at like 18, and I was like, oh my God, 18 events in a row. This is wild. And then I checked it again like this week. I was like, we're at 29? This is still going on? Like, I can't imagine anyone is sniffing a stretch like this. Those are the guys I like to play too, Rick, right? Like embrace the variance, especially if you're playing in large scale GPPs and stuff like that. Yeah. If he misses the cut, like you were screwed anyway, but at least he has that upside where you're looking for your lower price guys. I think he's like 7,600 this week. If you can get a top 30 finish out of those guys, you're sitting really pretty. And so, yeah, I I find that super interesting too. I I always look at like ceiling for cheaper guys. Yeah, of course. I mean, finishing like like T42 doesn't win you any money, right? Even if they're cheap, like, cool, you got through the cut, but like you want, you didn't win all the money, which I think is what most people are trying to do. They're trying to win all the money. I have a couple of matchups that I want to run by you. We're going to play my favorite game, bet it or forget it. But first, I need 30 seconds to sip on my water. All of the tools and data that you see me use on this channel is from my site, rickrungood.com. Rickrungood.com is one of the largest golf databases on the planet, and it's geared towards making your DFS and betting research process as efficient as possible. There are literally millions of data points in the database, and while that might sound intimidating, the tools that I've built allow you to cut through the data quickly, choose what's important to use, and even build lineups that are ready for import directly into DraftKings. Outside of that, membership gets you access to the Slack channel, currently 2,000 run-gooders who are ready to share insights and have a little fun. I love it, and you will too. Sign up at rickrungood.com. 
Let's bet it or forget it. I've got two matchups for you, and then I want to talk about um, one very interesting player for this week. How about Tony Finau over Taylor Gooch? Both of them are minus 110. We mentioned Gooch might not like the slow play aspect of this, but Finau is kind of the forgotten guy at the top of this board, Andy. Everyone seems to be very excited about John Rahm and very excited about Patrick Cantlay and very excited about Scotty Scheffler and everyone's just kind of like whatever about Tony Finau. Give me Finau. I, I wow. love the, yeah, give me Finau. I, I, beware of the guy who elevates too quickly and might be overvalued. Like I'll give you an example. Um, the first week of the year at the Century Tournament of Champions, Victor Hovland, who I love and I know who you love, was in matchups against Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, and John Rahm. And it was like minus 120, right? And I love Victor Hovland. You love Victor Hovland. But I'm not so sure he should be put in matchups against John Rahm as a slight underdog, right? Or Colin Morikawa as a slight underdog yet. But his value in the marketplace dictated who he's going to be matched up against. And I made a lot of money fading him in those matchups that week. I'm with... I'm with Finau in this one. I, I love Gooch. I think that Gooch should be matched up against your Seamus Powers right now and your Matt Wolves right now. But I still think Finau is is in a little bit of a different class. And if you give me minus 110 on Finau, um, I'll go Finau there. It is kind of an interesting dynamic because a sp- it, this tends to happen sometimes in, in some of these top-heavy fields. So everyone, again, clearly very much Rom Cantlay, Scheffler. And then there's Finau, who's kind of, you know, 1A or whatever, but he has to be paired with someone and books just look around and find that guy where mm-hmm. like if you were if you were looking at the whole roster of the PGA Tour and you were doing matchups for like a 6-month period or something like that, Finau would never be matched with Taylor Gooch, right? They they're no. kind of in slightly different classes. And I think I think I get what you're saying is that this is just like one guy who's, yeah, maybe not playing as well, but clearly better long-term than the other guy. And the, and this, this quick rise and the way that the pricing has rolled out has almost required them to be matched up against one another. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And I mean, Taylor Gooch's play, uh, okay. He played in Hawaii. He didn't play the Sony open, but he played Kapalua. Right. So Yeah, I think Gooch is kind of a guy hot on everyone's minds this week. He he didn't, he finished like T25 last week and he was still kind of part of the conversation. And I I don't know. I think it's a decent time to sell high on some of those guys. Like he's, he, I've seen him as low as 20 to one at some places. So I don't know. Give me Finau in that, in that spot. Okay. Andy is going to bet Tony Finau. I am not, I would not bet this. I, if you made me pick, um, I was on the Gooch side, but now I'm getting concerned about it. All right. Uh, for, 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 for the show, I'll, I'll take the Gooch side. How do about you this want one? It? Do you want to keep track of it? Like, should we, should we, I mean, we already what, have our, our one and done competition. What we like. should really be doing is we should be taking, um, we should be finding like five matchups a week or something like that. And then taking a side on each of them and then yeah. keeping track of it. And the, like, I write a matchups article for odds checker too, that, that people have really been liking. Like it's those, that's how professional gamblers bet golf Rick. And right. I think that's what people forget sometimes, but that is, if you're, I know it's not flashy like outrights or anything like that, but if you're seriously interested in building a consistent bankroll um, over time, matchups is kind of the way you want to go. So yeah, matchups are a part of my week every single week. Okay. Do you want to do, we, we set five and we each pick a side or should we go out and scour and pick our own five matchups? I think we should pick the same ones. Yeah, I think we should pick the same ones. And it's okay if it's okay if we are on the same side of one of them. I wouldn't expect us right. to be on the same side of all five, right? So I'm sure there'll be some differentiation. Would you do you want to use a specific book or do you want to use anything that's available? Uh aren't you a Caesars guy? I want to, I want to not use... hey, listen. If they, if Caesars wants to be like the official uh, sponsor of the scramble, yeah, they can be, but. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just scour them. I'll find five. We'll pick the same ones and we'll track it from there. 
well, bookmakers, if you're listening, we're, the scramble is open for business. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Come pay for your spot. Uh, yeah. We will, we will only use your matchups for sure. Okay. Here's another one for you. The two biggest boys in the field. John Rahm is a fairly significant favorite over Patrick Cantlay. John Rahm is minus 165. Patrick Cantlay is plus 140. It's always a little bit jarring to see Patrick Cantlay as plus 140, but this is probably the only guy in the world that that happens with. What side do you want, Andy? I probably can't lay like you give me you having to lay minus 160 in a like let me let me ask you this Rick do you feel squeamish sometimes about laying a lot of juice in golf matchups because something about it's just such a high variant sport it's just it's a unless I'm really 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 confident about it and it's a coin flip to me I'll use I'm not saying it's a coin flip between Rom and can't lay Rom's better but I will usually side with the underdog I start to get squeamish when we get to like minus 130. Yeah. yeah. When we start to get, I'm like, oh man, really? Like, is he going to win this close to two thirds of the time or something sure. like that? Cause you know, one, cause minus 200 would be like him winning at 66% of the time. So minus 165 is whatever, a little bit lower than that. And it's just like, man, that over Patrick Cantley, who has been like very clearly the second best player in the world. Like, would you be at all surprised to see Cantley finish sixth? Rom finished seventh, both of them having great weeks, but like, is Rom going to beat Cantlay that frequently? That's, that's pretty tough to swallow in my opinion. And, and you brought up such a key thing for DraftKings too. Like I'll give you an example of this last week in my handicapping process. I really loved Webb and I didn't really love Hideki to be totally honest with you. Right. But I looked at the projected ownership and I saw Webb was 30% and Hideki was like 6%. And I said to myself, okay, is Webb five times more likely to outperform Hideki in four rounds of golf, right? Like if they were matched up together, now you're asking Webb to be like a over minus 200 favorite. And so you kind of have to embrace the variance and be prepared to pivot when you get the minus 160 with Rom. Like I would generally say that's where you have to start questioning a little bit more. Do you wish that matchups were okay? I don't know how to even describe this. Like the golfers in the matchups that you're betting on are not incentivized to beat that guy. Right. So, so outrights golfers are obviously very incentivized to win the golf tournament. Uh, if you're betting money lines in other sports, teams are incentivized to beat the other team. The scenario in which I described where Patrick Cantlay finishes sixth and John Rahm finishes seventh, there is really no incentive for Rahm to try to beat Cantlay other than the fact that he's just trying to beat everybody. And, and Rahm has said before, Rick, Rahm has said like, hey, if I'm in seventh place and I need to hit the green and two, like I'm going for it. Like I'm trying to win. Like I don't care about the difference between finishing fifth and 12th. So you bring up a pretty good point with that. Like Rom has literally said that before in interviews. So, you know what I would do if I was golf czar, if I was in charge of everything is when you, especially when you get to the weekend. So when you get to the weekend and you're in, I guess you could do it on the weekday too. Like whoever's in your group, if you win your group for that day, you get like 20 grand. It's yeah. like, it would be like, it would be like Dana White's fight of the night bonus, but like, just like incentivize these guys to beat each other, it's incentivize them to stay, uh, focused to continue to do like the every shot counts thing that they want to ram down our throat. Like this is a way that you can give your players more money without necessarily doing appearance fees or anything. But like, if you win your group or you beat the other guy in your, in your, uh, uh pairing, you get something. I like that. I like that. Yeah. The game as it was intended to be played, right? You're playing your yeah. opponents at the beginning match play. That is, and it's know, not Rick, like it's going to impact like, you know, it, it, it could only, I don't see how it's, how it's anything but a positive. Um, I just found this out this weekend, Rick. Did you know that there's a club in Georgia, a golf club where they only allow you to play match play? Like they don't have yardages <laughs> on the hole. It's yeah. It's called a, it's called a hoopy match play club and you can look it up and it, you are only allowed. They don't have yardages on the scorecard. They don't have scorecards. You're only 
supposed to play your player in a match. Why wouldn't Isn't they have yardages? If, if I'm playing match play, I'm not allowed to know the yardage of the hole. <laughs> I, I, I think it's something like that. They, I, I don't, I, it, I, or it's like they have yardages, but they don't have like scoring the way they don't have pars. I think it is. I think it's, they don't have pars. You're right. Yeah. I don't know why I said yardages. They definitely have yardages. I don't think they have pars. That is like the, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Um, right. It's crazy. That's like what the, the golfer, the purest of purists, right? Is that you just go out there and you only play match play. Yeah. So, so you can't play as a single. Um, I guess not. And you can't really keep score. One of the, one of the guys that I was, yeah. One of the guys that I was uh, playing with this weekend, he said, yeah, I shot, I had to keep track of it. I shot like a 72 at a hoopy, but I couldn't really tell anyone and I couldn't post it on gin. But I was counting for myself, and it was a 72. <laughs> it is also – it is actually kind of interesting because um, – oh, interesting. Okay, so it's – it's but it's designed with this in, in mind. So there's like a lot exactly. of risk-reward opportunities, 100%. which is ideal for match play. So this is – you know, this is not like they had the club and then said, oh, you know what, let's mix it up and you can only play match play. Like it was literally – and it looks relatively new, three or four years old, I think. Yeah, and it's it's made a precipitous rise on our friends over at Golf Digest yeah, rankings. It's supposedly it's a it's a phenomenal place to play. But yeah, no, it it's uh, I love stuff like that. It's weird, um, but it's interesting. Oh, hoopy. Mm-hmm. Oh, hoopy. Okay. Yeah. Match somewhere in Georgia, Cobbtown, Georgia. All right, interesting. I am a little. I don't want to say ashamed, but I just kind of want to whisper it. I've spent real American dollars on Ricky Fowler this week. And mm. um, that is not something that I've done often. I'm very scared, but I think we are. I, I just think that he's way more undervalued than he is overvalued, right? Where like people have written him off now for two years he's been better than people probably think he's been. And this has historically been and should be one of the better spots for him. Yeah. And I've spent real American dollars on Justin Rhodes this week too. So you don't need to feel guilty about anything. Yeah. I think Fowler is an interesting guy to track. I, I couldn't get there personally this week, but I think this is in theory, a fair, uh, a good course for him, right? We've seen him play well on, the players he's won the players before this is kind of the west coast sequel pete Dye version to the players and we've seen him win in phoenix that's desert golf he's not a he's not a vegas guy is he rick no he's a florida guy he lives is the juke life he, but he's he's, he's from the california okay. desert this is like that's right this is he, his joint like this is it okay that's what i was thinking of i knew there was some sort of California desert connection because I remembered like the BMX yeah. stuff, the, the bike. Yeah, he's stuff. from he's from Marietta, California. It's like California desert. This is it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I, I could I could definitely see it. And and what is what is see? We can pull up the uh the odds checker golf grid, but it, he's in the sixties, right? Like sixty. Yeah, and actually, odds checker might be good because I think his number was kind of all over the place. So I'll pull that up. He is. I think 50 on uh, draft kicks, but I'll pull it up on odds checker because there's been a lot. Maybe this is with, um, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, Andy, but with, with New York coming on, I feel like some books are trying to be much more competitive. Uh, and you're, you're seeing a lot of like pretty big discrepancies in, in lines. I don't know if you're experiencing the same thing. I sure am. And that's because I'm looking at the odds checker uh, golf grid every day. They're yeah, not paying is... us to say this, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, but it, no, it's, it's so important, Rick, to shop around. Everyone, everyone knows this. I've been banging this drum forever, but yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think with New York, I heard uh, tangentially that uh, New York made a ton of money. The sports books made a ton of money in sure. uh, their first weekend of legalization and so you know if you're living in new york i'm sure there's a ton of promos and stuff that you can take advantage of and yeah i've seen pretty fair pricing this week 
There are great promos. Go to rickrungood.com slash bets. I think it's now, I think you now get $300 when you sign up and then like $3,000 in a uh, free bet, I think, or a bet match. But here, like, here's a couple of examples. Siwoo Kim is 38 to 1 at FanDuel. He's 50 to 1 at DraftKings. So obviously, pretty big difference there. Taylor Gooch, 20 to 1 or 29 to 1. And that's the opposite. He has a shorter number at DraftKings, uh, a longer number at FanDuel. So it's like, it's it's definitely worth like the three minutes to shop it, especially if you're in a state where you have access to multiple books. Can we answer this question? This is such a good question by Dominic, who is Ricky's other sport comparison. Super this charismatic. Is so good. So I love questions like this. It's it's so weird. So Dominic asks, and I'll read it for the, those just listening. Uh, who's Ricky's other sport comparison? Super charismatic, good looking, appeals to younger fans because he dresses flashy, looks cool, but hasn't lived up to the hype and popularity. It's funny, Andy, because um, a buddy of mine saw Ricky at a wedding like three days ago, and okay. he he is not a golf guy. And he asked me a very similar question. He's a he's a basketball guy. And he asked, uh, let me make sure I have this right. He basically said, who's his NBA comp? Like, so that I, I could put this into perspective of like how sure. big of a star he is. So yeah. we can take this from any sport, but it's it's strange that Dominic asked this because my buddy just asked me the same thing like last night. Can I tell you the first? So two names came to mind for me. I'll give you football and, and basketball. The okay. first name that came to mind with me was Odell Beckham, right? For football, okay. maybe. It's not perfect, but you look at a guy that had a, you know, very flashy with the one-handed catches, didn't necessarily translate a ton into playoff wins. I think Odell is considered more of uh there's just other stuff going on with him, maybe that contributed where Ricky's stuff was swing related, but that was the first name that came to mind for football. And then for basketball, I don't know. I feel like Derek Rose was flew really close to the sun for a little bit there. And, and that was, that was injury related, but he won that MVP at like 24 and then, and he's done a decent job reinventing himself you know, in the later stages of his career, but he flew really close to the sun for a little bit there. And then, and then it never, never kind of panned out for him. So those are the, those are the two names that pop to my head first. I, okay. So it's really, it's really hard because what, what I think I want to do is I want to take other athletes who are done their career so that we have like one thing to be sure. like, okay, this is, this career is over, but Ricky's obviously not done right he might we, we might see ricky around for another five or ten years who know like i don't know he, if he starts winning again we're gonna see him for a lot longer but the off the go off the field of play stuff i think is so much more important in golf because those guys make more money off the course ricky's in all the commercials so i was trying to think the literally the the split second first name that popped into my brain when my buddy asked me this was vince carter and it yeah. was someone who had a good one good good longevity uh, always well respected. Uh, never, never won a championship, right? Vince Carter never won a championship, and he's also like just a popular guy in general. Both represented the United States in their in their crafts. I actually opened it up to the first cut um, when my buddy asked me. I texted the first cut guys, and I was like, "Who do you got?" Uh, Carmelo Anthony popped up, and Chris Paul That's popped a good up, one. which are just like Carmelo Anthony simultaneously overrated and underrated which mm -hmm. I feel like is a pretty good comp for Ricky. Mm -hmm. I like uh, Logan in the chat said Baker. I, I, I like that too. I think the jury's still out on, on what Baker is going to turn into, but uh, from the commercial standpoint, right? Like you <laughs> yeah. want to talk about a guy that maybe the amount of commercials and publicity he was in overshadowed how good of a player he actually was. Cam Newton maybe came to mind a little bit for the, the flashiness of how he yeah, dresses and he made a Super Bowl and then it the big thing is like Ricky's really popular though. Like like everyone's see, like Ricky. does anyone not like Ricky? No. Like it's, it's it's hard to be it's hard to say it's Baker Mayfield or Odell Beckham or Cam Newton because there's definitely detractors to those guys. I'm not sure people are super like, oh I don't like Ricky. He doesn't seem like a good guy. Like he's like an awesome dude. And <laughs> if you look at Ricky's actual career, it's pretty good. Like I don't I don't have this stat in front of me, Rick. I, I can uh, I can research it, but in 2014, he finished in the top five of all four majors. Has anyone done that since? 
Uh, Brooks might have done it, but it, all it's, four. It's a it's a very. I'll I'll have to check. It's a. I remember when yeah, Ricky me too. did it. It's an it's yeah. an incredibly short list. It's an incredibly short list. Yeah, I remember it because I was at Pinehurst that year. Uh, I mean, he lost to Keimer by like eight strokes, but yeah, that was that's really really hard to do. Really really hard to do. And he's got a player's win, and I think he's got like six or seven wins. It's a good career. Yeah, I'm just trying to look back at uh, now. Now I'm deep in the wiki rabbit hole. Let me just check Brooks real quick. Did Brooks a- do Anthony Bolotta says Allen Iverson. That's a good one too. I like Iverson's that. a good one too. Yeah. Uh, all right, here is Brooks. He did. Oh, 2021. He finished top six in three of them. Yeah, in 2019, Brooks finished runner-up at the Masters. He won the PGA. He finished runner-up at the U.S. Open and T4 at the Open Championship. So Brooks did. Okay. In 20. Okay. Yeah, and he's probably the only guy, right? Uh, that it has to be right. I mean that like we would have, (laughs) I would remember somebody doing it between Ricky and Brooks. I feel like. Yeah. All right. Well, pull up Ricky's thing real quick here. All right. Ricky did it in 2014, right? Yes. T five at the masters runner up at the U S open runner up at the open championship T three at the PGA championship. Yeah. It's unbelievable. He, 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 he lost to Keimer by eight strokes that year at the U S open, but (laughs) I I, still a, a strong accomplishment. So I'm fascinated to see where he goes this week, Rick. You might be, you might be buying low and, and, and who knows. Uh, Now I got to check Jordan Spieth because that's Zach in the chat says, didn't Jordan Spieth do it? All right. Last one. Then I'll move on to one. Last We got to do one and done. Yeah. Okay, Spieth definitely did it. Yeah, 2015, uh, two wins, Masters U.S. Open, T4 at the Open Championship, runner-up at the PGA. Okay, so it's not as rare as I had initially thought, but when you're in a list with Brooks and Spieth, that's, you know, you could do a yeah. lot worse. Uh, Alex is right. John it, it, John yeah. Rahm had four top tens. Rahm went T5 at the Masters, T8 at the PGA. He won the U.S. Open. T3 at the Open Championship. That was just last year. That was 2021. Yeah. Actually, Scheffler came close, too. Oh, yeah, because he finished like fourth at the PGA. Yeah. And, Seventh wow, maybe, at the Open maybe Championship. Maybe this is uh, yeah. not that impressive anymore. Yeah. I don't think Scheffler finished top 10 at the Masters, but he finished he top 10 at he the finished, other three. He, yeah, he finished T18 at the Masters. All right. Okay. One and done. We'll get out of here. So you, by virtue of a couple of butt whoopings, are – on the tee. You have the honor. You get to go first. So you have used Seamus and you have used, who'd you use at the Century Tournament Champions? Leishman. Leishman. Yeah. And uh, it's your it's your call. I don't know who I'm going to pick yet, so I got to figure this out. I'm going with Scheffler here. I, I think this is a decent week to roll out Scheffler. I'm feeling a little bit better about uh, the guys I have in my holster. I don't think this is the right week to use Rom or can't lay, although from a game theory perspective, I, I don't think a lot of people are going to go to him, but I, I like Scheffler this week. I think Scheffler has a very solid week. Uh, he's a little low. His outright number is a little low for me to get here. So that this will be my Scheffler exposure. Okay. And I certainly don't mind that one single bit. Um, the guy that I had earmarked. So when I, when I set my thing for the whole year, the guy that I had earmarked for this event was Taylor Gooch, which I'm generally still okay with. You made me a little bit worried about it with like the amateurs and the six hour round thing. Now that I'm (laughs) thinking more and more, but I'm going to try to remove that. This is the guy that I had earmarked for this spot. I'm going to go with Taylor Gooch and you are going to go with Scotty Shepard. Let's do it. I love it. Scheffler and the Gooch. That could be like a, you know, drive time radio show. Yeah. Or a law firm. Yeah. (laughs) Or a law firm. Uh, Anything else, Andy, before we get out of here for this Tuesday scramble? Nope. That'll do it from us guys. Uh, We'll be back Friday. Friday, Friday, same time, same place, which is 12 PM Eastern. And then uh, what day are you, what day are you, I'm going to be at Tori on Friday and Saturday. Which yeah, are the too. last two rounds. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, as soon as we finish recording on Friday, that's when I'm going to drive up. And it only takes me two hours to get there. So I'll probably, I'll be there all afternoon on Friday and then all day Saturday. 
we could probably move it up if you want. If you if you maybe we'll do a scramble an hour early or something, maybe that'll. Well, or or we could even do. I mean, we could even do it. Uh, it's it's up to you because remember that'll be a a round three scramble, right? Where we typically do a round two, kind of around the cut line. Correct. So it's totally yeah. A, yeah however you want to do it. Okay, we'll think about that. We'll think, we'll about, think about that it. for oh, the next couple of days. But for now, you can find Andy. He is available on Twitter for all your compliments and complaints at ADP Lack Sports. You can find me at Rick Run Good. We will see you Friday, same time, same place.